As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Welcome to the final Offside Rule WSL edition of the 2020-21 season. Coming up on this show, badass Barca give Chelsea the blues. All change at Manchester United as Stoney steps down and it's a weekend to remember for the Foxes in the FA Cup. Welcome along, I'm Lindsay Hooper. And I'm Kate Borsay and joining us today, former Chelsea and England international Claire Rafferty, not long off the plane from Gothenburg. How are you feeling, Raff? Oh, oh God, God, thanks for having me on. A little bit, obviously, you know... You know Let it all out. Yeah, uh, deflated. Um, I, I think it was fantastic to be there with the squad. It was a great experience, but um, obviously the final result was not too pleasant and the flight home equally wasn't too pleasant. Um, but lots of lessons learned um, and I guess on to next season and, and actually winning the trophy. On arrival, it did feel from following other reporters' accounts and journalists that there was a lot of visibility about the fact that the final was there. Did you find that? Yeah, you know, as we, as we were driving from the airport to the hotel, you know, there were banners up, um, lots of noise about the final. Obviously, unfortunately, the fans weren't allowed into the stadium as, as usual. But there, there seemed to be, you know, UEFA had, had a big presence there. And it was all taken very seriously, which is really lovely to see, isn't it? What was the atmosphere like? There are obviously no fans, but were, could you sort of sense the sort of steely determination of the players and the playing staff there? Were people excited? How how would you describe it? Yeah, you know, there was a lot. You were very focused. Um, the prep was meticulous. Um, obviously, meetings and the attention to detail that Emma Emma um, injects into the squad is is first class. And and you know, the, the girls were given every opportunity and and. Um, you know, every bit of detail needed to, to try and overcome Barca. And I think the actual vibe of the squad and the staff, it was, it was calm. Mm. Um, everyone was, seemed quite relaxed, calm, confident. You know, you, you know why wouldn't you be after off the back of, of the season that they've had? So I think there was, there was, a, there was a quiet confidence, not overconfident at all by any means. Um, and yeah, I think from the first, first 30 seconds that the, the squad was slightly in shock, weren't they? They were. I mean, I don't know whether they ever really recovered, as Emma alluded to in her post-match as well. We'll get on to the game in just a second. Worth pointing out then that you, you travelled, didn't you, Raf, uh, with, with Katie Chapman. Um, you were with the team going there and back. A, a very different, I imagine, mood on the way home. But 
on that way there, did you speak to many of the players and did you speak to Emma? Yeah, I, I had a really nice long chat with Emma. Um, it was a fantastic opportunity, you know, and felt quite a lot of privilege to be invited along um, for the experience. And Emma said, you know, she wants, she wanted us to be there to experience because we were there from the beginning. So that was a really, really nice gesture. Um, and, and yeah, I had a chat with some of the players I obviously used to play with, and then some of the new ones. Um, probably had to explain who I was a little bit. <laughs> you did no, not. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I didn't want to assume that they knew who I was. <laughs> I would have expected um, you to turn up with with, with uh, wearing one of your old match shirts, Raf. Just to, oh yeah, I had just a full kit on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd had chin pads on, boots, boots I had to pull out of the bin, ready to oh, go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, but but flying out with them, yeah, was was amazing. Obviously, the the uh, the the plane was was first class. It was the same one they used for the men's and stuff. So it was a smooth journey, smooth operation. Well, we can't avoid it. We're going to get into the match. Uh, let's get into this one. So it was the Champions League final in Gothenburg. Well, we were hoping that this week's show would be a celebration of a famous Chelsea victory in the Women's Champions League final. But as we know, things turned out very differently. It was Barcelona who were crowned European champions after an emphatic 4-0 victory in Gothenburg, with all four goals coming in an incredible first half. The game was just 33 seconds old when Barca took the lead through a free-cone goal from Melanie Leopold, and it was soon 2-0 when Alexia Putillas converted from the penalty spot. The goals kept on coming. Player of the match, Eitana Bonmati, made it three after 20 minutes, and it was game over when Lika Martins added a fourth before half-time. The Shellshock Blues improved after the break, but the comeback never looked on. Barcelona's 4-0 win is the biggest margin of victory in a final since the Women's Champions League era began 11 years ago. Not a stat we really want to finish on, um, but a difficult game. And I think, Raf, from your insider insight, to go down after just 33 seconds, a fluke goal, but it was really all about how it was managed from there. And I think it's fair to say Chelsea never had a chance to get a grip on it from that point. Yeah, it was absolutely brutal. Um, I think that the team was stunned um, and just kind of couldn't really gain any momentum and, and gain control of the game. Uh, just mentioning you know, the, the player of the match, but I, I thought Lika Martins actually should have been handed that award because you know she was so dominant and the impact that she had on the game. Um, and, and I really do think that uh, our fullbacks struggled to deal with some of the some of the um, you know the aggressive play from from Barca. So um, yeah, all round re- real. Real um, unfortunate start and disappointing. And, and I just think coming in at half-time 4-0, it was a little bit too late to be able to change much. Yeah, it was right from the off, Raf. I mean, one, one of the things to say about this in terms of the Barca coach, Luis Cortes, and his game plan, you know, Barca had been in the final before. We all know the two years ago and, and they wanted to get revenge for that and they wanted to just make it right. And I thought psychologically going out so hard from the very first whistle... It was a way of testing Chelsea because Chelsea were the newbies to this final. And psychologically, I think he knew if they got that first goal and they got it really quick as they did, that it could really unsteady Chelsea. And and that's exactly what it did. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the the sluggish start from Chelsea really played into Barcelona's hands. The tactical um, game plan that Barca had in place, it was exactly that high press, high energy, high aggression. Um, and I think actually we've seen a few slow starts from from Chelsea in the past, and you know there's no doubt that we have the talent to to win competitions like this. But we just need to cut out the, these these slow starts. Is there something to be 
said, though, Raf, uh, of course, it was a really awful goal to concede so early on. There was a VAR decision that perhaps was a bit soft. Is there an argument there that actually, you know, Chelsea are allowed to make a start right at the start of the biggest final of the club's career so far, but that an unlucky decision really, you know, played against them and, you know, perhaps perhaps luck wasn't on their side. I know Barcelona were worthy winners, but is there an argument that if perhaps that VAR decision had gone their way, that they could have got something out of the game? Or am I clutching at straws here? Yeah, you can argue that the VAR decision really did kill the momentum of, of both of the teams, especially Chelsea. I think also touching on the Penel Harder missed an opportunity at 1-0, which would have brought the game level. Um, and I just think when we're talking about luck, there's been a lot of conversation around how lucky we were, we were in, in previous games with missed penalties, etc., um, but I think you're right, Barcelona, they, they, they capitalised on it, didn't they? They, they, were, they were absolutely brutal and they punished us and it just, it just wasn't our day. No, and you know what, I'm going to go on the side of this as well. I know there were those decisions that were made, there were the opportunities for harder, but I think overall Barcelona were in charge. They dominated off the ball as well as on the ball. I cannot see, had one of those decisions gone in Chelsea's favour, that they would have gone on to win. I honestly don't in this situation. I think there's, like you say, Raf, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. I, I want to speak about tactics because, come on, you know, we we absolutely um, give Emma plaudits for, for what she's done. I mean, there's the, the trophy haul that she's got this season. No one can take that away from her. But tactically, I think there are a lot of question marks over Neve Charles and Jess Carter. It was those fullback positions because Hansen and Martins were just having the run of those down the wings. The it, flanks were just, I mean, they were, they were so dominant. Yeah. It, it was it, yeah. it was the area that punished them the most, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I think the fourth goal actually summed that up, didn't it? The the, the brilliance of, of Martins and uh, Graham Hansen linking up, it was <laughs> pretty brutal. And I, I think the inexperience of the fullbacks did, did uh, come to fruition there, didn't it? And, uh, I mean, I, you know, you can't fault Jess... Um, Jess Carter and, and Neve Charles for the performances leading into this game and I'm, I, you know, I wasn't surprised to see them start uh, but you know, I think we have to actually give credit to, to, to these amazing Barcelona wingers who, who were just electric weren't they and, and I do think you know, potentially there should have been changes earlier on um, yeah. but that's, that's, yeah, that's something that we can't change now Of course people are saying that Emma Hayes missed Marin Mielder um, at right back but could could Emma Hayes arguably have done anything more to perhaps support Jess Carter and Neve Charles? Could there have been a bit of an adjustment there made? Oh, yeah, I, I mean, I think obviously leading this game, they would have had all the information. I think actually there comes you know, a level of responsibility that the players have to take on the pitch. Um, Emma can only do so much, can't she? Um, so I think problems should have been addressed. Um, and I know you could see obviously Emma trying to direct the team, but I think... Um, she probably potentially wanted to get the team in at half time and give them some direction but obviously we know now in hindsight that was just a little bit too late but I think on the pitch um, Marin, Marin Mielder would have brought a level of calm and um, that's what I'm sure of so um, I, I would agree that we probably did miss her experience definitely. I think there are sections of UK media that really underestimated how good Bar Barcelona are. I think we probably did that here on this show Kate but I think 
we also recognise that they had dominated in Spain. They'd won the title with eight games to spare. They'd yeah. been scoring goals for fun. They hadn't been conceding very often. Well, I, think, and- I think we also knew how good Chelsea were, Linz. And I certainly didn't didn't think it was a shoe-in for Chelsea. I knew it would be a game and it would be an evenly matched game. Did I know that Chelsea were going to get 4-0, you know, absolutely trounced? No, I don't think any of us did. No, and, and I, I think we'd all be lying, wouldn't we, if we said that we didn't fancy Chelsea to, to go there and at least score, I think, with the attack that Chelsea have. But one of the things to get you on, Raf, as a, a former defender is a lot of credit's been given to the wingers, but every one-on-one situation, I felt Barcelona stood up and they stood up really well, um, and off the ball as well. They were they were really limiting the passing ability for Chelsea. And I thought, from that point of view, the clean sheet spoke volumes as much as the four goals that they got. Yeah, I think you're right there. The, the clean sheet, the organisation of Barcelona, Leon in defence was, was fantastic, rock solid. Um, Patelas in in midfield was, was amazing as well. I, I think they were more aggressive, weren't they? We were quite reactive. Um, I think the you know the, the early um, conceding of the goals really knocked the wind out of our sails. And I, I, yeah, I just it didn't really look like Chelsea, did it? Um, and I think potentially we're just not used to being in that position. Yeah, we 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 have the ability to change games and fantastic talent in order to do so. But I, I don't think it was one of 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 under, undermining Barcelona or not expecting them to be at this level because they've scored something like 161 goals, I think, isn't it? which is which is ridiculous. Yeah, but I, I just think it was at start. So here we are where we've got two teams top of their leagues and actually the WSL has been longer established and is more heavily funded and resourced than the than the Spanish league although Sp- you know Spain are catching up of course they are but there's an argument here that you've got two teams at the top of their game yet Barcelona potentially moved into an extra special gear here for this game because we did study them before the game. We had pieces up on our website from Martin Whiteley who, who's been following all the European teams all season and has been writing about them. We certainly didn't underestimate them. But it's really interesting then whether we need to look at whether actually is the best that English women's football has to offer, is that good enough in Europe? And, yeah. t- you know, tough questions to be asked about about how Barcelona were able to do that to Chelsea. I think they did have another level, didn't they? And they stepped up and whether, that, whether that's because of the fact that, you know, they've got a solid core of Spanish players who play together week in, week out. They've, you know, they've, they've grown up playing together. They had the experience of losing last, last, um, in 2019. Um, and maybe it was just a year too early for Chelsea. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that their league is, is, you know, too far away out of the out of reach of, of, of the likes of WSL. But it is a bit of a um, awakening, isn't it? I guess a humbling we all experience. need to. Yeah, we all need to up our levels. I think all round. Uh, being on the inside, Raf, I wonder if Sam Kerr mentioned that tweet from four years ago because. I wonder if she even remembered it, but apparently it had proven a bit of motivation for them because she said about the final that they were in and and this is competitive. Um, And it was as if those words came back to haunt her and Chelsea. I mean, did she even recognise that she'd done that? Yeah, I wasn't aware of that, to be honest, and I I would like to just pretend I hadn't if I'd have written that um, just because of how it's kind of come back around. But no, there there were no talks of anything like that. Not that I was aware of anyway. 
Interestingly, um, quick plaudits to Beck Smith, who was on the show with us last week, who said that Chelsea did have to be patient and weather the first 30 minutes. A bit of uh, a bit of a predictive brilliance there from her. Um, I don't suppose, Raf, just because you were on the inside, what did the note say uh, after the third goal? Uh, <laughs> Hayes sent a note onto the pitch, read by Millie Bright and Manny Leopold's. I love all these details. Uh, any idea? I think it said, don't concede anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do what do we take away from that second half performance? Because I imagine that the team talk at halftime would have been, right, let's treat this as winning this half. Let's try and go out there and, and at least have a showing in the second half. And they managed, if you just took that scoreline, it was nil-nil, wasn't it, for the, the final 45 minutes. Um, what do they take from that? There will be an element of Barcelona having that 4-0 lead and that cushion not going at it as much. But what, what do we take away? Yeah, I think, you know, we're looking at the positives. The second half, we were resilient. We tried to, to you know, get right down the throat of them and it just wasn't enough, was it? I think the blueprint that uh, Barcelona have implemented is something that I'm sure they will reflect on. Um, and look, we're not ever doubting the, the, the strength of the team and we have to keep trusting in them, building building around them. Um, and I'm sure Emma will be recruiting some, some fresh faces to just yeah. to freshen things up because it's about going again and, and um, they will learn so much I think in, in a few years time we'll, we'll look back on at this moment and just just and the players will, will reflect on how much they've grown from it yeah did you did you sense any nerves Raph I mean it would have been completely fair enough for the players to be um, a little bit nervous did you sense any of that well, yeah, I think obviously that there would be a little bit of nerves going into the game, but not visibly. There's a lot of big personalities in that team, um, and leading up to the game, you know, pre-match meal and stuff, everyone was was acting as they as they normally would, um, and you know, rightfully so. There would there would have been a few nerves, but not not enough to kind of affect them any more so. You know, this team is about winning. They play under pressure, so it's something that they they, they thrive on. And I wouldn't have thought that would have would have been the issue. We saw the pictures and video of Roman Abramovich being there and he went into the dressing room afterwards, did he? What, do you know what he said? Yeah, yeah, he went into the dressing room and just um, congratulated the girls for, for getting that far um, and, you know, and making sure that he knew that the club was very proud of, proud of them and, and, and to go again next year, um, which is, you know, it's a, it's a great for, for him to, to be over. It was fantastic to kind of... For the girls to see the support they had, I mean, the, all the directors were, were also at the game, and the, you know, the club, whole club is was behind them. Um, and yeah, I think it's just trying to turn that into a positive, isn't it? We'll be back. I think that was the yeah. message. Emma Hayes said afterwards that they were the second best team in Europe, which is definitely one one yep. positive way there to we look go. after it. <laughs> Chelsea have um, agreed a deal to sign Annie Nuven from uh, PSV Eindhoven. She's a Netherlands defender, 22, um, very experienced. Um, I think that's why Emma's picked her out, actually. Uh, experienced both internationally and domestically uh, over in the Netherlands um, and has um, praised her physicality and her compassion composure on the ball and she's a defender so she'll be um, bolstering the line there no doubt. So what areas um, we've just heard about this defender that's been brought in what other areas do you think they need to strengthen in? I think obviously defence and this new defender will will aid to that so uh, I think all around they probably will see um, a bit more injection into the core Um, hopefully Mary Mioda can come back fit but we need um, people in place, you know, that, you know, need to maintain that squad depth. Um, I wouldn't say we, we really need any forwards, do we? Um, <laughs> but I think you'd be looking, you know, central midfield potentially and, and defence. 
um, which is which was kind of highlighted, wasn't it, in the game? Well, uh, our congratulations uh, to Barcelona, who were worthy winners. And a quick shout out to Asisat Oshawala as well, who becomes the first African to win the Women's Champions League. Well, the WSL season may be over, but it wasn't the end of the action for our clubs. The FA Cup fifth round was also played this weekend with a place in the quarterfinals at stake. We've got details next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Chelsea are still chasing the treble this season. They've already won the WSL and the League Cup and they play Everton in the fifth round of the FA Cup on Thursday. The winners of that tie will join holders Manchester City, Arsenal, Tottenham, Birmingham, Brighton, Charlton and Leicester in September's quarterfinals after they all won at the weekend. Championship winners Leicester caused the shock of the round, beating Manchester United 3-2. Natasha Flint scored the winner for the Foxes, who had quite a weekend at their men's team, beating Chelsea in the FA Cup final on Saturday. So good was Flint's goal, by the way. We've had a tweet. Paul Cleese been in touch and said, please, please talk about this. Uh, this is uh, the third goal for Leicester, the match winner. Um, Flint getting on the end of a lofted ball. She held it up brilliantly uh, and turned before shooting it low from a pretty tight angles if you haven't seen it go and look up Natasha Flint's goal Um, for United though it was head coach Casey Stoney's last game in charge she announced that she was bringing her three-year reign to an end earlier in the week calling it an incredibly tough decision so what's next for Manchester United I think we start with that Raf because Casey Stoney announcing that she was stepping down caught quite a lot of people by surprise yeah, and I think I was equally as surprised. Um, I didn't actually realise she'd been there that long, three years. So I think she's had back-to-back fourth-place finishes, hasn't she, in WSL? And uh, starting from scratch has, has, has been, it must have been hard for, for Casey. I know she's had some frustrations with, with some of the facilities, but I don't know. I, I think it would leave a few of the players um, a little bit uncertain. You've got like Alessia Russo, Galton, fantastic season so far. Um, I know that Tobin Heath and Press are going back to the US, if I'm right in saying so. Mm. Um, I, I, I think it's about direction for the players because hopefully Casey's left left it in a good place for someone to kind of come in and take the reins and take this team to the next level. Um, but I know a lot of these, these players will, will, will have been there for Casey because she's a fantastic person and leader and, and manager. So there would be a few frustrations, I know, actually, when, when she uh, stepped down at Chelsea. I, I felt quite <laughs> upset by it all because, you know, she's just a great person to be around. So it will be a huge loss for United. Yeah, United director John Murto has said the club's completely committed to its women's team and to building on the legacy of Casey's achievements as we move forward. Just to go into a little bit of the detail here, the long-term plan was for the team to move to the Cliff training ground in Salford, but the refurbishment work wasn't done in time. So the team were training at Lee's Sports Village. They then switched to Carrington midway through the season. So there was frustration about that, about facilities, and also the number of key players that picked up training ground injuries as well. Well, we saw obviously um, Tobin Heath made such a good start to her um, to her arrival in the WSL, and that was cut short. Alessia Russo as well, and Leah Galton all picked up injuries. So there's work there that needs to be done. Um, but I suppose the next question would be: Well, has Casey Stoney stepped down to go on to something else, or has she stepped down because she's felt because she feels like that's 
that's the stand she wants to make, Raf. I feel like it's probably a bit of both, actually. I'm sure the opportunities are, are coming for Casey and, and she's, she's, you know, respected worldwide. And there have been a few rumours of, of her going to America and they, I don't know if they're confirmed yet or not, but yeah. um, I think it's... I'm glad she's come out and said actually about about the situation, the training ground, because it needs to be voiced, doesn't it? People need to know that it's not all rosy behind the scenes and there's still a lot of work to do in women's football. Mm. Um, and I'm sure if she's not being given the, the, the right tools to succeed, then I wouldn't blame her for moving on. It has been reported that The Athletic understands Stoney's in the final stages of discussions with Jill Ellis to head to San Diego to manage the NWSL expansion team for the 2022 season. Um, Ellis, of course, was the former USWNT head coach um, and she's set to become the sporting director with Stoney eyed up to be the next manager. Uh, We'll see whether that goes through. I I mean, this rebuild job that Casey's done, how much with her departure is there still going to be a rebuild to do? Because Jess Sigsworth, apparently she's off. Um, Big links to Chelsea with Lauren James. We won't put you on the spot with that because we can't (laughs) say anyway. But hey, you know, we should mention the Lauren James sort of blunder. She's been rumoured um, to be off to Chelsea for a little while. So that was already bubbling uh, under the surface. But um, Chelsea announced the list of players that you could put on the back of their shirts last week and uh, spotted by Flo Lloyd Hughes, who works with us on the podcast. Uh, Lauren James's name was on that <laughs> list, Claire. Well, yeah, well, um, I haven't seen this tweet and I'm going to neither confirm or deny, but yes, it's quite a blunder. But <laughs> if that is the case, how exciting. She's a fantastic player. Um, and obviously came from Chelsea mm. and her brother plays at Chelsea, so it would be a nice family affair. But I don't know. I can't confirm that. <laughs> no. But on the rebuild, coming back to that, do you think for Manchester United, if these players are departing as well as their head coach, is it going to be another rebuild job? Because you were saying about Manchester United and Man City breathing down Chelsea's necks, but are Manchester United going to be breathing down your necks if they've got so much to do recruitment-wise? Well, I think they need to replace Casey straight away. A club size of Man United, it shouldn't have any issues attracting players, but it's not as easy as it sounds, is it? And I think if they want to take that next step up, they're going to have to recruit and they're going to have to, you know... offer offer these players, um, you know, respectable wages to do so. So... I think it's it's going to be a tough ask for whoever's next. So hopefully it's someone who, who you know, has a good reputation. I'm sure it will be around women's football and football in general. And um, they can kind of draw these players in. But, yeah, I think it is back to the drawing board a little bit there. Mm. Well, another manager who announced her resignation last week was Birmingham City's Carla Ward. She will be available on the market. She finished with a 3-2 cup win against Southampton. Uh, The Blues finished second bottom of the WSL in what was a very taxing season, both on and off the pitch. We had a lot of uh, reports of that throughout the season. And it was, in fact, only last month that the players wrote to Birmingham's hierarchy to protest at the differences in facilities. Another one to do with facilities here, Raf. Uh, what do you think about Carla Ward? Has she got the potential to to carry on managing in WSL? She she did a pretty good job in the time she had here. Yeah, you know, I think it's been a challenging year for her, hasn't it? Um, and considering the situation and circumstances she's been in, she's, she she did a great a great job in galvanising the players and um, and achieved probably what not, no one really thought was. I think she she you know she grew into the season as well, and she she she's been she's a fantastic person. I know the players uh, respect her a lot. Um, and and I just hope that at Birmingham they they they, they sort out the kind of off field situation because it's not it's you know we're, we're talking about trying to compete with with 
you know, Spanish league and French league and stuff like that. We need to be having every single team in this league, um, you know, giving equal opportunity and respecting the game as it should be. Otherwise, we are going to slip behind. And I think every team has a responsibility to do so. Yeah, people might say, well, can the FA help? Should they be putting in maybe punishments for teams that don't meet certain standards? But actually, what's going to help Birmingham more than anything else is investment. Um, they, you know, parent club need to put money into that side. And that's what that's what they need. Uh, and that's what it stems down to. And that, you know, whether that arrives or not, will give a very firm indication of how invested they are in their women's team. Uh, could you see Carla Ward doing a job at Manchester United or Arsenal who will move on to because Joe Montemoro he signed off in star with a 9-0 win over Crystal Palace so that was his last game could you see her doing a job at either of those? Yeah I, I think I could actually she's got the reputation in, in women's football hasn't she um, she's had a good season um, and, and she's someone who, who you know the players can relate to as well so much like Casey, um, there are similarities there. So I wouldn't be too surprised to see her, um, you know, head over to, to United and help them kind of push to the next level. Just on the managerial chat, um, Gemma Davis, um, um, Aston Villa's uh, former manager, she released a statement actually a, a couple of days ago on Twitter. Um, her departure was announced last week, but she's 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 given a long statement here with sort of pointers. Um, and, and she said that not, not many people get to do their dream job. And if, like me, you're ever lucky enough to do it, you will never imagine leaving. And she's talked about her journey with Aston Villa. She's learned a tremendous amount. And given pointers, kindness is key. Be authentically you. You won't always look the same finally but most important of all surround yourself with good people so it's a nice statement there from Jem Davis just to just to sign off her time at Villa but let's take a look at the broader picture we've got Casey Stoney who's gone Carla Ward Joe Montemuro Jem Davis Vicky Jepson at Liverpool you know these these are all you know stalwart teams within the WSL uh, a third of the WSL teams now without a manager and we're about to head into arguably the biggest season ever for this league with this huge TV rights deal and with that, a lot of exposure. What does this say about this, the state of the league right now? Surely it's a bit of a concern. Yeah, it is a little unsettling, isn't it? Um, but I think it's an opportunity, um, just on the positive side of it, for, you know, for new talent to come through, potentially for other managers to be given an opportunity. Um, I think if you reflect on, on who's gone... There, they were probably at a stage to leave where, where they couldn't give any more to take to the next level. So I think it's a natural process as well, isn't it? You do see peaks and troughs, but we need to keep the momentum of, of the WSL. We need to keep the standards high. The signings need to be good as well, though, don't they? Exactly, they do. And I hope, I hope we keep the kind of momentum of the big pool of, of the players that we have in this league so far. Obviously, with the Americans coming over, um, that was a, a great you know, publicity kind of angle to it. But I think it's about consistency right and and making sure each team is 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 actually competing um but yeah there is a big change for next season and let's mm. hope it's for the best we may see some other names returning as well like Laura Harvey for instance i just wondered with with the arsenal vacancy if she could be a front runner there but we will um we will tie up the fa cup so holders manchester city they beat fellow wsl side west ham 5-1 uh, the quarterfinals for the fa cup are to be played in september the final is being played in december raf i'm trying to get my head around this <laughs> crazy isn't it um it's it's the fact they have to wait so long the squads are going to be totally different by then aren't they um, and yeah, I mean, it kind of, it just kills the vibe of the FA Cup, doesn't it? 
Um, there's something to look forward to in November, but it's a bit too far away. Who knows what who's going to kind of be involved and what the state of the, the teams will be. But um, yeah, a bit of a weird one that. All right, lots still to discuss here on the WSL edition because the season may be winding down, but there's no shortage of movement off the pitch. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yes, we've already touched on some summer transfers that could be happening. Here's ones that are definitely going ahead. Manchester City's World Cup winning pair, Rose Lavelle and Sam Mewis, they're returning to the United States to join O.L. Reign and North Carolina Courage, respectively. City defender Megan Campbell will also leave when her contract expires in June. That's been confirmed. Another player leaving for the States is Ebony Salmon. The Bristol City and England striker is joining racing Louisville after the Robins were relegated from the WSL. Of course, former Man City player Gemma Bonner left for the same club a few weeks ago. Uh, Bristol City have also confirmed that interim manager Matt Beard has left the club and has taken over at Championship side Liverpool. I've already seen a picture of him with the scarf held aloft. Welcome back, Matt Beard. Yeah, they'll be hoping for the success that he had with them last time. Uh, Chelsea women have agreed a deal to sign Anik Nguyen from PSV Eindhoven. We touched on this earlier. 22-year-old Netherlands defender has agreed pre-contract terms on a three-year deal. And former England fullback Paul Koncheski has been appointed the new assistant manager of West Ham women. Uh, he's been working with the Hammers Academy since 2017 and in recent months has been helping to coach the women's side under Oli Harder. Eddie Aluko has left her position as sporting director at Aston Villa and we understand she'll be taking up a new role in US women's soccer. Los Angeles-based franchise Angel City is where she is set to be headed, yet to be officially confirmed, but we hear that that's close. And Frank Kirby has been voted the Football Writers Association's Women's Footballer of the Year for the second time in her career. Chelsea teammate Sam Kerr, the WSL's Golden Boot winner with 21 goals, came second. And Manchester City and England forward Chloe Kelly came third. So, Raph, looking at some of that news that we've just announced, what what takes your attention from all of those that, that have been confirmed in the last week? So the standout for me is Ebony Salmon over to the US. I was kind of hoping that she would stay in the league uh, she's had a fantastic season, hasn't she, for Bristol. And obviously they went down, so so she's moved on. But I think it's a great opportunity for her. It's a shame to see some of our talent go over to the US. Um, but hopefully she can kind of learn her trade, gain more experience and come back and uh, star in our league. Mm. I felt the same about Casey Stoney and Enia Luco, actually, that it's a shame that we're losing talent to the US, whereas I suppose we were, we were able to capitalise on talent from the US uh, this last season. Because of COVID, we won't see that many US players join our league again, I don't think. I'm sure we'll see a lot more movement during the summer as well. Can I just give an honourable mention uh, in the Championship to Leandra Little, Sheffield United captain? She's retired, I think she's 36, but she's one of those players um, who's been in the game for a long time. Um, Raph, I'm sure you will know all about Leander as well. She was in that original Lincoln side with Casey Stoney and Sue Smith, six years at Doncaster Rovers Bells. She won the Women's Championship with them and then to Liverpool and then Sheffield United. She's had a, um, a really long and successful career. So all the 
the best uh, from us to Leandra Little. Time now, though, for us to do our very own awards. In time-honoured tradition, it's time we gave our very own Offside Rule Awards for the season. They mean absolutely nothing. Just maybe a bit of an ego boost and possibly a retweet later on in the day. But they're playing for pride, so we'll go through. Um, Raf, we'll take your your very uh, esteemed opinion on these. Um, Starting with Match of the Season... Uh, and I don't know whether we're just limiting this to WSL or not. Um, I've got my own opinion if we are or if we aren't. Kate's usually in charge of these things. <laughs> I think I would. I would go for. I mean, um, um, we've probably largely got similar ones, but yeah, I would. I would go for anything. So for the match of the season, I would go for Chelsea versus Brighton, which Brighton actually ended up winning two one. And I think I was so impressed actually with the performance of Brighton and how organised. Hope had our squad, and I think because of Chelsea's dominance, it was kind of a, a testament to the competitive nature of our league. So, yeah, I'm going to have to give Brighton the credit there. You've nicked my one there, um, Raf, and, and, oh, and I've got a feeling, Linz, <laughs> that we're going to say perhaps a similar game as well, in that that Manchester City-Chelsea game, the two-all draw, was just you know, uh, a really interesting, uh, interesting marker in the yeah. season. And well, it was, a, it was a really good tussle actually. And I, that was the day before my birthday. And I thought that <laughs> Manchester City, it, it was resting on them to absolutely get three points, wasn't it? And they could only get the one. But I did think that they showed how far that they've come this season under Gareth Taylor. I thought it was a really good, really good duel. Um, and so if I'm not going to go with WSL, or if I can deviate away, then I'll go for the Chelsea Bayern Champions League semi-final because that was yes. fantastic. Really entertaining and showed exactly where the game is at at, at the current moment. So uh, coach of the year... Considering that a third of them are leaving the league this summer, um, is there anyone other than Emma Hayes that we would even consider? I don't think we can, can we? Um, I'm obviously incredibly biased, as, as usual, but I think the, the way that Emma has dominated the season has, has been testament to her, her tactical detail. I don't know what you guys think, but I would have said Casey because, just because I, I really admire her, but I'll stick with Emma, I think. Yeah, she is um, she is a visionary in the game and she's where other managers need to be in terms of the way that, that she manages players, the way that she meets emotional needs. You know, we haven't, haven't talked about that in a bit in this podcast too. When we met with Emma a couple of years ago, Linz, for that big sit down with her, it was as much about the way that she makes sure that her players are emotionally cared for, that their well-being is considered as much as their physical um, health too. And I really like that side of her. So, yeah, she, you know, despite the disappointment in the Champions League final, you, you definitely can't take away her achievements this season. A few years ago, I thought she was the perfect coach to take a team that was maybe second or third. You know, the first time that Chelsea won the league, I thought she was the perfect manager to chase down another another side. And now I think she's transitioned and she's the perfect manager to keep out in front. And that is even more difficult, mm. I think, to be able to be the team that is there, that everyone's trying to chase down. And she's she's cope with that admirably I think there is an argument for Casey Stoney doing so well um I know that the season tapered off but I think that at one point to be up there leading the league and second and and just constantly asking questions of some of the bigger sides around them that have 
traditionally been considered bigger sides. Um, I think that that was a really good run from her. And there's an argument, I think, as well. I, mean, I know that Jen O'Neill agrees with this, that, you know, Hope Powell at Brighton, um, given her resources. Yeah, I think so. Hope probably more than sort of Casey, really. I think Casey did did get it wrong a few times this season. She, she was obviously managing injuries within the squad. But for me, Hope Powell would be the manager after Emma Hayes that I'd go for. I think I might change my opinion now, actually. <laughs> I think Hope does always get it right, doesn't she? With, um, I think, the level of resources she has, she manages to uh, bring that squad together, doesn't she, quite well. Yeah. I also like the fact that she told us on the show, now you've worked with Hope Powell, but, but she really honestly said, Raph, that she she's had to develop... Um, in terms of uh, listening to players. She's had to develop um, holistically in what happens off the pitch. She's had to uh, perhaps learn how to be more approachable is a nice (laughs) way to put it. But she was really honest with us when she spoke to us and she said that that has come with maturity that's come with experience and also the fact that she's in charge of a group of girls kind of 24-7 rather than just the international team and players who she sees uh, sort of for only specific periods of time so I think fair play to her for you know you know saying it's a it's kind of as much about development for her as a manager as it is about her getting the best out of her players as well if you see what I mean yeah and you know what I I actually listened to to that show she was on and I think Credit to her ability to adapt in that because I know she had a bit of bad press around, um, you know, the people side of the game. But she has really kind of learned a lot, I think, from being around the players day in, day out and knowing what's, you know, what's best for them, how is she going to get the best out of her players? And I think that shows in some of their performances. Well, despite all of that Hope Pal chat, Emma Hayes is still going to be the winner of <laughs> Coach of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to goalie of the year. There's only one, isn't there, really? Come on, you can't debate this. We've got to try. We've got to try and make this a bit more interesting. Uh, Hannah Hampton, I think. Yes, but she's not been as consistent as Anne Catherine Berger, has no. she? Berger's no, been she absolutely been. superb, I think. She's been consistent. She's been a stalwart of of the Chelsea side and some fantastic saves she's pulled off in big games like Champions League and... I could definitely hear her at at the weekend actually dominating and and directing her team. So I'm definitely going to go for Anne. Let's just give it to (laughs) Bird. We agree, but a mention for Hampton and a mention for Ellie Roebuck as well at Manchester City, who've done very well. Um, But yes, Anne-Catherine Berger out in front. Uh, We can't have um, Chelsea winning everything, being mentioned in match of the season, coach of the year, goalie of the year. We'll divide up player of the year. We already know that Frank Kirby won the Football Writers Awards um, nomination, which we were involved in, actually, Kate. but. I I think let's divide it up because I is anyone going to argue against Kirby? I think she has been the player of the season. She she has been um, sensational linking up with Kerr. So as a striker, would yes. we go with her up front? Yes, I agree. But I think too much Chelsea. You're right. Okay. <laughs> but let's go midfield and defender. I'm going. I, I, spoiler alert: no Chelsea player in my midfield or defender of the year. Okay. Are you going to go for Caroline Weir? Yes, you know that I love her. I think she's been yes. brilliant. So Caroline Weir would be good. my midfielder, yeah. We've got some similar names here. I've already got got your list of nominated players, actually. Katie McCabe uh, in there as well. Defender, yeah. What about you, Raph? 
I have really enjoyed watching Katie McCabe, actually. I think she's um, stepped up at Arsenal, hasn't she? Yeah. And because I was going to go default Chelsea, I'm going to, I think, level with you guys and put in Katie McCabe because she does always step up, doesn't she? I think she leads that team, especially when they've been lacking a little bit of that leadership. Yeah, and she's had um, players coming back into the side that are very young, like Lotta Wubin Moy, who's done brilliantly. And I know that Leah Williamson's been in the game a long time now, but is still young in years. And I think that she has handled whoever's been alongside her. She's really bought the best out of them um so mm. yeah katie mccabe would be defender um any others for midfield other than caroline weir at manchester city ella toon maybe i think she's had a really good season for manchester united and she's shown how intelligent her play is as well she's she's been a really useful player for them so i i i i, I I certainly think I want to throw her name into those contenders. Lauren Hemp, for me, has been a key player for Man City. I think she's been really influential in the Champions League and she really has developed, hasn't she, over the season? And, and I know she comes with a big reputation, but I think she's going to be one to watch again for next season. Yeah, despite the fact she's not had a full season, I think you're absolutely right to come back from injury and to make such an instant impact, to be so young, to be so physical. She's just not not phased by anything. So for me, Lauren Hemp, definitely. A quick recap then. Match of the season, both of you agreed on the Brighton Chelsea game so I was outnumbered there uh, coach of the year Emma Hayes goalie of the year and Katrin Berger player of the year if we we're just going to go for one we agree with the Football Writers Association um, Frank Kirby but we have also divided it up defender Katie McCabe midfielder I'm still going to stick in there and try and get Caroline Weir through I think and I'd probably go Weir over him yeah yeah, yeah. and striker Frank Kirby let's not forget Chloe Kelly as well just but before anyone has an absolute meltdown at us. Listen, if you disagree with us, if you're listening to this show right now and you think, what about this player? Please do let us know at Offside Rule Pod on social media. Claire, thank you very much for joining us today. So what is next for you in your role at Chelsea? I'm, I'm guessing you don't get a summer off. You're right there, no time off. Straight back in after the uh, weekend and, yeah, getting bringing commercial deals in, reaching out to brands, trying to bring some revenue in for, for the women's and the men's team, which should be interesting. Is that job now easier on the women's side, Raph, in all, in all honesty? And if it's not easier, then it should be. You know what? If I'm being brutally honest, it's not as easy as I thought it would be. Um, there's still a lot of educating to do to, with, with some brands, just about kind of the story around women's football and, and, and the reach that we have and, you know, the narrative that is Chelsea when I'm selling it. But it's, yeah, I, I thought it would be a little bit easier, but it's still a long way to go on that front. And we really do need these brands to buy in. Well, look, we've had our own experience of that here on the podcast as well with, um, you know, lots of lots of interest, but no one actually sort of signing on the line. Luckily, the uh, Athletic came to the rescue. So we, we, we sort of totally get that. Sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to live in this women's football bubble um, without thinking about how it uh, chimes yeah. in the wider community. Still... There's a big TV deal to come and some really, really interesting movement that's got to happen managerial-wise and I'm sure player-wise before next season. It's exciting. It really is. <laughs> well, this has been the uh, the final show looking back at action on the pitch, but we're also hoping to bring you a couple of Offside Rule exclusives to tide you over this summer as well. Keep across our socials at Offside Rule Pod for more details. We wish you all the best with bringing those deals in, Claire. Thanks so much for coming on the show and we hope to get you on again next season. Thank you for having me, everyone. Take care. That's it then, the end of the 2020-2021 season. A campaign like no other. 
It was a season of uncertainty, a season where Alex Morgan came and went. Manchester City beat Everton in the FA Cup final. Chelsea outclassed Bristol City to lift the League Cup trophy. And an England legend called time on her career. It was a season that went down to the wire with Chelsea triumphant on the last day. But it was a campaign which ended in European disappointment for the Blues. Most notably, it was a season with no fans to share it all with. We hope we've managed to keep you company whilst you've not been able to go to games. Thanks for listening and for all your kind comments about the show on social media. You can continue with those comments with a five-star review wherever you get the show. It helps other people find us too. Yeah, we had to get one more of those plugs in. Of course, it's thanks to all the players, pundits and journos who've given up their time to join us. And a shout out to the production team behind the show, Muddy Lees and the athletic producer, Chesie Bent, Ben Green, Abby Patterson and Flo Lloyd-Hughes. We look forward to keeping you company again next season. Now go, socialise, get out there in the big outdoors or indoors. Have a great summer. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. The Athletic.